Welcome to Trek in the Time of Corona. In his 1972 book, The World of Star Trek, David Gerald wrote that science fiction at its best was the postulation of an alternate reality with which to comment on this one. On this podcast, a fan of Trek and a fan of everything but Trek will come together to search for reflections of this pandemic life by watching and discussing contagious disease-themed episodes from the Star Trek universe. My name is Brian Apple, and I am here with Caroline Harmondero. Today's episode from Deep Space Nine, Babel. Original air date, January 24th, 1993. Chief O'Brien's exhausted, being pulled in a lot of directions to fix broken parts of the station. The navigational computers are malfunctioning, the airlocks are not opening, the main power core is acting up, even the replicator that prepares the food for Quark's Cafe and Cisco's Black Coffee is on the fritz. In the midst of answering everyone's complaints, O'Brien starts speaking nonsense words and is unable to communicate commands or anything at all. Dr. Bashir first suspects the cause of this aphasia is a stroke or a traumatic brain injury, but when others near O'Brien show symptoms, they realize it's a virus quickly infecting the crew. Sitko declares a quarantine, and the crew quarters are turned into a triage unit. The virus mutates from foodborne to airborne and sweeps half the station, including Jake, Sisko's son. Meanwhile, security head Odo is plaguing cafe owner Quark by tracking his business and its obedience of the quarantine rules, as well as his illicit use of other food replicating machines in the crew's quarters. Jahil, a freighter captain with an urgent load to deliver, refuses to stay inside the station for quarantine and tries to blast his ship out of its dock, even risking the destruction of the station. Captain Odo saves the station just in time by manually detaching the tethers and the courier ship explodes a short distance away. Major Kira soon deduces that the virus is a form of sabotage, not from the Cardassians to them, but from the Bajoran resistance against the previous station operators, Cardassians. Major Kira flees the quarantine to track down the suspected surviving saboteur, Sir Wren. She summons and infects him, and persuades him to track down an antidote using their new knowledge of the virus and his memory of the initial sabotage. So I, I wanted to start by talking about the, for the second week in a row, we have watched an episode where the virus crisis is enhanced and made more complicated by behaviors and maybe in this episode even more so because the behaviors were a result of the virus in the naked time and in this episode the behaviors were simply a response to the virus right and kind of like a rebellion against the public health protocols that come after the virus um, yeah, exactly. You know, which is so much exactly what we're dealing with right now. Um, and it's so what what the show helped me appreciate, which, of course, I mean, I could never speak to what the writers intended or didn't intend or what their messages were. But what the show helped me appreciate is you had all of the main characters 
working very diligently on finding a cure. And it's kind of like all of the people who have been deemed essential, the grocery store workers and the medical personnel and, and, and just all, all, all of these groups of people who are working diligently and just asking for us to stay home so they can willingly put themselves in this vulnerable position to help us. And there are groups of people who are making it more complicated right. for their own. I mean, I can't even guess at their true motivations, right. but it, it just really, it, it surprises me that it's so obvious on the show in this episode right. that that captain is in the wrong. And I don't think there's anyone who could watch it and think the captain was in the right. But when it comes to real life, we make the same mistakes as that captain did. I mean, yeah. at least a, a portion of the population. Well, I think also when you get, you get sort of in your own, um, you get in your own world, you know, in your own bubble of how your profession needs to be executed properly. And this is getting in the way of that. And all that matters is that you're able to do, you know, fill in the blank. So, you know, when you, talk about people who are doing really important sort of helping jobs um, and, and can't do them right now. They're just absolutely furious and frustrated to not be able to help their clients, to not be able to help their patients, um, you know, around things like healthcare or social work that are not related to COVID-19. So you can see how someone would get in that kind of a bubble. Like he's like, look, my cargo is going to spoil. It's going to be ruined. Um, and then, but then of course he goes down to a second level where he admits that he just doesn't want to get sick. But yeah, I think that there's millions and millions and millions of stories right now that are living out sort of this whole Captain Jaheel thing. I, and I agree with what you said, but I don't necessarily see it as the social workers and, and the medical professionals who are out there creating the extra problems. It seems to be people yeah. who are not necessarily in a, well, I don't want to say that. Uh, it just, it doesn't seem like, it seems like there's a segment of the population who is out to create a disruption that then obviously from the science of it all creates even more work for the people who already have to work through this and who are already vulnerable to it because of their profession. And it's just, I, I really could feel, I, I saw one meme on the internet from doctors or something in a hospital holding up a sign saying, uh, we come to work to help you, please stay home to help us. Yeah. And I really got a sense of that meme when um, Odo and, and Quark are running around. Well, I mean, Quark doesn't really care as much, but Odo desperately trying to stop the station from blowing up while everything else is going on. It just, it really struck a chord with me about how people are creating a headache right now in a time that we least need it. And they, they seem to be acting out of, well, it feels selfish to me. It definitely is infuriating. And I think that um, the character of uh, Quark, who is, you know, so not um, sympathetic, <laughs> But, you know, from the outside, meeting him for the first time. But I think that he's a really interesting portrait of, like, not caring about the law, feeling above the law. And I think partly because of feeling treated unfairly over time and feeling like he's lost the sense of being under the law. 
you know, any sense of like justice existing. So why follow, why follow the rules when you've been overlooked for so long with his, all his various problems that haven't been answered or, and I think that that's so much a piece of what we're seeing is people who feel, you know, whether it's true or not, because some of them tend to be very privileged, at least, you know, racially, like having a lot of white privilege, but, but economically, if you feel like you've been kind of stepped on over time, then you lose that sense of community where you want to protect your fellow man but also just the law isn't for me. It's not, it's not taking care of me. So it's not, it's not for me. Right. But that's, that's very interesting because I think it is a feeling because looking at the character of Cork, which um, he, he is sympathetic. I mean, it's, I don't know why. I mean, I love him too. I don't know why I do because everything he does is usually <laughs> dishonest and, and, and disruptive but even though he he is presented as being treated a little unfairly he kind of deserves that reputation and he's not willing to extend that kind of um sense of justice to his clients because he's in the triage unit accusing someone of faking an illness (laughs) and demanding demanding money from them and that and that's just like the the governors who are coming out and and making it clear that when the business is open, people who do not go back to their jobs won't be eligible for unemployment when um, it's it's very, very clear that there are people who going back to their jobs could be a death sentence. And and it's just, um, it might feel unfair if I have to go to work and someone else doesn't, but it doesn't necessarily make it unfair. Like, it's hard for me to appreciate their feelings as they protest systems that have been put in place to protect people. Yeah. And, you know, the decision-making of some of the Southern governors is really um, suspicious, you know? Right. I think that it's very hard to, hard to accept placing economic goals above human life. Right. And I think there's a lot, there's different examples of that in this episode. And I think oh, um, absolutely. also just the different economic nuances of it, I think were so fascinating how the businesses have been shut down, but then, you know, the cafes, Captain Odo saying, you know, looks like business as usual over here. And then Quark says he's an essential service. And so what's kind of the definition of an essential service? And I remember watching our governor talk and talking about what's, what's an essential service and seeing some of the things on, on the news about, you know, how liquor stores were going to be open and just being kind of like shocked by that. But then hearing um, later that uh, it's kind of a public health decision because the, emergency rooms would be overwhelmed with people and withdrawal and um yeah and wow. kind of how the different um all the different effects that would happen if if we suddenly went into kind of prohibition time frame um that's, temporarily in our country so... and uh and that's really you know scary all the people that are rely on it yeah that's so interesting because that's that's a way that the system is already trying to address 
um, behaviors or, or um, actions that could become a distraction to the very um, necessary uh, place where our focus should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, I didn't, I didn't know about that. And I think um, one of the things that you really get a sense of in this episode that um, I remember my friends in college saying who were um, studying viruses and uh, talking about this kind of reverence for how sort of wise and genius they are. Um, and so <laughs> like when. Um, right. His, his name Cisco Sisto. Uh, Bashir. Oh, the doctor Dr. says, Bashir. Uh, Dr. Bashir says this virus is a work of genius and, and right, kind of has right. it up floating on the, on the screen overhead, which is so today, you know, seeing the, the physical drawing of the, or microscopic image of a coronavirus over and over and over again all day long. And I think it's kind of like this reverence for how quickly it mutates and how it varies by patient and, um, that stuff is all, you know, so much on our minds. It's, and, you know, talking about it as like an enemy to beat and how quickly can we overtake it? Um, yeah. Well, and and I was thinking about, um, because definitely there's this tendency for us to think of the virus as a, um, not even a living thing, but as an adversary, like a, 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 as a thing that's making choices in what's it, in what it's doing. I mean, Bashir might not have meant it exact. He might have meant the person who created it, but he definitely had admiration for the virus mm-hmm. and, and the way it acted. And I wonder. I wish I could see someone's perspective from like the nineteen eighteen pandemic. Yeah. Like if they if they personified the virus the way we or at least a segment of the population is doing now. Like, have we, is that an advancement in the sciences? Because we can see it, we can start looking at it. And and it's happened in other things, like people who have F cancer shirts and things like that. We, we now see diseases as these um, personified enemies. And is that a result of science? Like, is that yeah. because we understand them better? We can't, we don't have any hokey, magic stuff to blame them on yeah or 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 people i mean but uh, surprisingly though people still blame them on um, other people and other groups of people but but at least there's also a segment of the population that's looking at the diseases themselves as enemies yeah and i but i also think like i think they did have a sense of sort of reverence for it i'm guessing because the way my grandmother used to talk about it she would say um you know because it was something that she had done battle with and overcome like half her town died but she was this great survivor and um and then uh after she had been through it she was never sick again a day in her life from (laughs) really from anything ever um wow and she taught every day until she was 75 um and never missed a day of work and she always said it was because of the great influence of 1918. Really? Yeah. Really? That is interesting. Yeah, she got it when she was eight. And it also gave read. her um, beautiful wavy hair. Really? It, really? It had been straight before then, but the high, extremely high fever. <laughs> wow. Is that for real? Yeah. 
<laughs> I guess we're off topic now. Um, but I love the kind of the epidemiology, like tracking, kind of like, um, and the band played on, like tracking back to the right, beginning right. and finding um, how it started and how it got into the food source. And, um, and in this case, you know, there's this bad actor that's like a, a it's, it's an act of sabotage, but you know, in real life now with COVID-19 kind of tracking it back to the source and these um, kind of the story of the farmer's market where it started right. and kind of making it this kind of dark demonic kind of thing with the right, with a bat, right, right. even, you know, with an evil bat <laughs> as a player yeah, and, right. and just kind of this desire to track things back to um, some evil a start somewhere from a being that i mean i don't necessarily see bats as being um <laughs> conscious beings in the way that we are but there is there there are those people who who are labeling all sorts of things from bats to whole groups of people to individuals as the start like i was reading an article on I think it was CNN or something about a woman who's been accused as being patient zero and she's being harassed constantly and there's no evidence uh, at all. And then when you talk about or when you read about all of the people in the Asian American community who are being attacked physically and and being blamed for it. And then there was another article today about um, in other countries, there are different people who are being blamed. And so in India, there's a, a big problem with Muslims being labeled as the people who are carrying the virus or, or the, that fault for the virus. So it's, wow. it's really interesting how, and, and, I, I, and this happens in other episodes in a way, it didn't happen last week, but in this one, it, it had to be a person, like it had to go back to a person who started it. And I think that connects to our tendency to want to have someone to blame for yeah. something that's horrific. Absolutely. And it's and it seems like so many diseases, like you talked about in the band played on. I mean, AIDS wasn't even dealt with on a real level for like a decade yeah. because it was seen very much as the fault of the gay community. Yeah. And and it's so strange how we we need that for some reason we need someone to blame for everything yeah and yeah absolutely someone to demonize and i think that especially at least in the united states like a a a group that you can otherize right um and so you see all these you know asian american people being attacked and mistreated and abused and it's it's so horrifying and it harkens back to a lot of different pandemics you know there was also right. in the 50s an asian flu and that's what they called it and uh came to land in america in san diego and the with the navy and um went through california and then across the country from there and i think asian american families were absolutely targeted and abused during that time and it's just right. so horrific huh. to see it in these modern times and it's so opposite of the message, like it's become kind of the fad whenever something terrible happens in America that we have to unite as Americans. And we're always saying that while at the same time using the crisis to oppress either the groups that we've always been trying to oppress or to oppress a group that has maybe flown under the radar in some ways in regards to the types of oppression we want to commit. Yeah. Yep. 
I wanted to ask about, well, first, you had had comments last week about leadership during the crisis. And um, I was wondering how you thought about what you thought about Cisco's leadership and, and, and compared to, well, I mean, certainly compared to our leadership right now. Yeah, well, I think um, uh, quick, quick action <laughs> is a <laughs> yeah. major difference. Um, right, right. And I think, you know, going um, very fast into quarantine, um, right. even when he's not sure that it's warranted. So he says at one point, you know, we're just doing this as a precaution. Um, right. And of course, at that point, he's talking to his little son, um, which is very sort of heartbreaking when his son comes down the stairs yeah. and he's like, Dad, about this quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is, you know, of course, what we're all dealing with with our kids. And, um, right. And uh, he, you know, puts a lot of things in place very quickly, having people stay in their quarters and um, converting quarters into a hospital, which is like here in town, our, our convention center has been converted to a hospital right. and uh, keep has, a, he has a travel ban. He's keeping incoming ships from approaching the station and, right. and then um, kind of having people play different roles, you know, delegating things differently very quickly. Um and recognizing what's happening quickly. Yeah. All of those things are really similar to what a lot of our governors are doing, but not similar to <laughs> what the federal government seems to be doing. Yeah. And I could really appreciate, like, I remember one of the things that our governor said was about, you have the right to be infected, but you don't have the right to infect someone else. And Cisco said something about how the quarantine is necessary to keep people from infecting the rest of the galaxy or other people. And that's not something that every leader is sending as a message. Like it constantly come in, comes back to um, rather than a proactive, we don't want to infect other people. Mm -hmm. It comes down to a, we'll let you go out when it's safe for you. Right. Um, yeah. Which is a very different message. Yeah. I think. Right. And, and, and neither week, the last two, I was really, um, interested in seeing the portrayal of a leader who expresses great confidence but never makes a promise about what is going to happen in the future like it's always they always seem so focused on the moment and solving the problem of the moment it was never cisco never said well we're going to have this cured in a few days we'll just hold on or whatever like it was always um, about what was happening right at that moment which i appreciated now being in the middle of a pandemic situation yeah um the kind of message that i want to hear yeah i think that is really rare to for people to understand both sides of contagion i think so many people are complaining about wearing masks and not caring whether they wear a mask but not realizing right. that most of what you're doing when you're wearing a mask is preventing yourself from infecting someone else because you have to always assume that you have it which is just just conceptually just so hard for people to understand yeah even myself, like I have to remind myself of it all the time. So uh, the manifestation of this virus being aphasia, I, I was texting with a colleague just about how 
severe miscommunications are during this time when you everything is a dis, detached form of communication, even if it's face to face over the computer. Um, it's not it's not like really talking to someone in a room and and just having this feeling of speaking and not making any sense and trying to listen to someone who is not making any sense um, was really I really connected with that part of the show. Certainly not what the writers intended, but seeing seeing that um, aphasia element in a story about a contagious virus. I was like, this is an experience. This this kind of expresses the experience of trying to work in a with a group of people during this time. Mm-hmm. And it also seems like socially and politically, there are people who are, I don't know if there's a hearing aphasia, but they're not hearing what um, you and I seem to be hearing. And there are people who are being treated like they uh, are suffering from aphasia because the messages they're giving about safety and the messages they're giving about the science behind it are being totally ignored. And I'm just, I'm really astounded at how the maybe perseverance of some of the doctors and some of the professionals who have to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again and be totally misunderstood. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's really bizarre to me and scary. Yeah, to not be able to get across something that could save people's lives. Yeah, the picture of the head of the CDC sitting on the steps outside the White House and just kind of hanging his head and how hard it must be right. to have to carry this message day after day and not um, not be heard and to know right, know right. exactly what needs to happen and not be able to communicate it. I think one of my students was placed for her field placement in an aphasia clinic and um, just the heartbreak of it and how um, you can be, you know, the wisest person with the highest intelligence your whole life and then be just unable to communicate anything inside your mind. Um, It's one of the scariest disorders I can think of. and, And that is, it's definitely a great metaphor for how we're not, different sides of the country aren't aren't able to communicate to each other right now right right and and just totally missing yeah missing something the last thing i wrote down kind of on my page here and i think it's kira who says it when she goes to get the doctor who is the assistant in creating the um the virus oh yeah (laughs) good thank you thank you very much um (laughs) She says that, she said, I am not looking to place blame. And um, I kind of, I guess it kind of connects to what we were saying earlier, but just in the midst of a crisis, it's like so bizarre or, or troubling when our focus, when someone's focus is on the past, which there's an element of the science that needs to be focused on the past, but that anyone would spend time blaming others when the crisis is ongoing it's like sitting or standing in a house that's on fire and trying to figure out who started it before you run out and and it's just like that really um was significant significant to me because she was just like she didn't have time for anything like she didn't care about anything except getting him back to the station and and finding the cure yeah 
That's such a good point. And we're seeing the opposite every single day, all day, relentless blaming and shifting. Yeah. I, I think there's a way where um, the episode starts with uh, this backup of of maintenance tasks right, and how right. things aren't getting fixed on the ship. And um, there's problems with the navigation and there's problems with the airlock and all this different stuff i think there's definitely a piece in that about um how any crisis but particularly like a health pandemic is exposes flaws in the system and just a lot of um analysis about that and um how we see you know such a huge rate of infection among african americans and other you know sort of long-time health disparities that don't get talked about enough um, but this is sort of shining a light on them. and um, Right, right. Uh, which is good. And I think, and even, you know, with all this deferred maintenance stuff on in their space station, that um, even like the physical maintenance of cities is, is part of what's coming to light, you know. Right, and, right. Um, and how much harder it is to have... Um, let's say your entire educational system go online when you don't have the infrastructure to um, get, you know, uh, Wi-Fi to everyone and, um, and that kind of stuff. So I think there's definitely a theme in there about impoverished jurisdictions that have had deferred maintenance for a long time. um, But also that have had these sort of, um, racial and other types of health disparities for a long right. time it's getting exposed and maybe it'll be addressed and dealt with um and helped um after this is over because of that you would hope so you would there was a school in philadelphia or maybe it's the philadelphia school district who suggested that their high schoolers who don't have wi-fi drive to the parking lots of their school buildings to access the Wi-Fi at the school so they could do their schoolwork. Yeah. Which is just, which is just crazy. In their magical non-existent car. Right, 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 right. In discussing his love of Jonathan Swift's writing... Gene Roddenberry once said that Swift used his characters to point out the stupidities in our system of thinking. In this DS9 episode, we noticed and discussed the many admirable elements of effective leadership displayed by the crew. The heroism of Kira, the decisiveness of Sisko, the bravery of Odo, the work ethic of Bashir. But sadly, I couldn't shake seeing the reflection of our country's collective stupidity in the subplot of Captain Jahil. Whether through greed or fear or ignorance, this character hit too close to what we see in America right now. Those who are taking no precautions to protect themselves, and even worse, taking no precautions to protect others. Those who are claiming that the people dying from COVID-19 are not really worth making a sacrifice to save. And especially those 
who are putting their fetish for this economic system ahead of our common humanity. In turn, all of these beliefs encourage actions that end up creating more work for those who are actually putting their lives at risk, as these beliefs promote a system of stupidity that will keep the virus spreading. The doctors, nurses, hospital personnel, grocery store employees, EMTs, letter carriers, the list is really endless, as all these people are diligently working to provide us with what we need to survive this crisis. We are simply asked to not blow up the entire space station while attempting to break the quarantine and infect the rest of the galaxy. How is this even a choice?